Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Monday, March 15th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper from huntersportspicks.com. We'll give you a full lay of the land here for the NCAA tournament. We'll talk in general about the venues, about some things that you want to look for in the first round. We'll talk about all four regions, give you some futures thoughts along the way, some breakdowns of some of the first and second round games, at least the ones that we expect to take place. Should be a lot of fun here on today's show. We'll do it as quickly and efficiently as we can, because I know there is a lot of content out there for the NCAA tournament. want to make sure that you get to ours but also get some of those perspectives out there from other people in the industry because at this time of the year, everybody has an opinion and we want to make sure that you have the opportunity to sort of sort through what you think is real, what you think is legitimate and what isn't out there in the sports betting podcast landscape. Over at ATS.io, I've previewed all four regions. So you can check those out over at the website right there on the homepage. My 2021 MLB betting guide, still something you should check out if you have not. So opening day, not that far away. I know it's all about March Madness this week, but don't forget about the start of the Major League Baseball season. Download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. Full article integration with that. It's a bet tracker. It's an odd screen. Lots for you to check out there in that ATS app. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Mr. Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man? Going well, man. I, I love this week, you know, always pumped for Selection Sunday and March Madness, my my favorite tournament of the year, uh, best sports event of the year, in my opinion. It's also great from a betting standpoint, so I'm looking forward to talking about this. I definitely am as well, and uh, if there's any lag, any hiccups in the audio, maybe that was the case here already so far. I did have a bad stick of RAM in my computer, which was the reason I had a problem late last week, so operating with a little bit lower RAM until the replacement one shows up. So my apologies here, my computer working hard, us working hard, everybody working hard here at this time of the year. And let's start overall with some impressions of the bracket. And you and I were talking before we started recording here, Kyle, that, you know, the bubble was very weak this year. I don't really have, I'm not really upset necessarily about the teams that aren't in the field. I think Memphis should probably be in here somewhere maybe Louisville as well. Maybe Louisville gets in the field anyway, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But you know, I don't really have any problem with who's in and who's out overall. It's the seeding I have more of an issue with. Yeah, same with me. You know, I don't think there's any bubble team that that didn't make it that had a tremendous season or anything that really should have been in. There are some teams here that are overseeded or underseeded. Um, you know, the one that really stands out to me is Loyola Chicago. And when I took that future earlier this year, uh, at such a great price, I should have realized, you know, and and I still think it was a good grab, but I should have known right away that Loyola was, was going to get put in the toughest spot possible. You know, they, they draw an eight seed, which is far too low, and then they put them against Georgia Tech, who should have been higher than a not, number nine seed, and they have to play Illinois in the second game. Uh, I tell you, it makes a big difference if you're an eight seed versus a seven or a six seed. And Loyola getting underseeded there really hurt quite a bit. And then there's some overseeding, you know, where you look at Clemson, you look at Colorado. I mean, those are some teams that really don't deserve the seed line that they're on. We could talk about quite a few, but, you know, it, it seems like uh, the seeding, there's always some pretty big errors. Yeah, year in and year out, you know, they, they try to hold down the mid-majors. And it, it's remarkably frustrating. And, and the thing that's a real piss off about it is we know it's coming. You know, every year we know it's coming. We knew that 
they would find some sort of way to screw over Loyola. They did it. And, you know, to me, it's one of those things where we know it's coming and it still pisses me off. And then I wonder why it pisses me off. You know, it's, (laughs) it's the same thing I talk about all the time with regards to the college football playoff, you know, Ohio state will be that fringy four or five team or an Oklahoma or somebody like that. And look, the reality is it's about the dollar. It's about the bottom line. It's about the ratings. It's about making money. And yeah, everybody likes the Cinderella story, but at the same time, you've got a much larger following for these blue bloods, some of these bigger names, all that. So, you know, it's just, I I don't know, maybe I just need to get used to it and not complain about it. But, you know, once again here, we've got some of those mid-majors kind of getting screwed over and, and Loyola, of course, at the top of the list. Yeah, I mean, they're the one that stands out by far. And like you said, this is a yearly thing. So, you know, we should just get used to it. I do think there are some other teams that, that were probably underseeded, that were smaller names again. But, you know, here we are in a, a tournament where, I, I, to be honest, I do feel like this um, committee did a better job than some of the others. You know, I, I think Loyola got screwed. But, you know, some of the other years we've talked about how there were some egregious errors across the board. I, I don't think they did terribly across the board. It just kind of seems like they picked out a couple of the small name teams like Loyola and thought, you know, we don't want them in the final four. Let's see how we can knock them out early. So, um, you know, like you said, we should probably get used to it. But overall, a pretty good job. Yeah, overall, I think they did fine. And, you know, of course, we'll see if we get some of those bracket busters and some of those interesting things that happen pretty much annually here uh, in the first and second rounds. But before we dig into that stuff, I do want to talk about this here. And this is very, very important. Now, the deadline is, I believe, 6 p.m. on Tuesday night for a team to not be able to go to Indianapolis for the NCAA tournament. Louisville is the first alternate. I believe Colorado State is the second one. Now, what happens here is that if we have a team that cannot play because of COVID or because of something else, the team that is in line for that spot, one of the first four out, would automatically take that seed line. So, for example, let's say that Number 16, Hartford, let's say they wind up with COVID cases, something like that. Louisville would become a number 16 seed, and they would play Baylor in that first-round game there in the South region. Same thing if it was Colorado in the East, at the five spot. Louisville would become a five seed in the East, play Georgetown. So if a team cannot participate in this field here, the first alternate would slide in, or the second alternate, if there's two teams, something like that, and they slot into that seed line. And Hopefully, knock on wood, this doesn't happen, but man, that would be a, a real ass ache for somebody who's a one or a two seed who thinks they have a walkover in the first round. Then all of a sudden they wind up with, you know, a fairly decent team to play. Yeah, that would really be, uh, that would flip this thing upside down, right? You know, um, when when you said that to me last night, they were just going to slot right into the seed. I was like, wow, really? You know, I, I hadn't heard that. And, you know, I, I think that it would be hard for them to know what to do with a replacement team if they didn't do that. So, you know, to be fair, you know, this is a different year and we know with, with COVID and how it's affected everything that it wouldn't be easy to know what to do with them. But if, you know, uh, that happens in some of the games, if it happens in a specific matchup that could really uh, turn things upside down. You know, if, if somebody gets uh, a COVID and can't play in a 12, five game, 
as a 12 seed and you drop in one of the other teams, it doesn't really matter too much compared to what, you know, it would have in another spot because, you know, the 12 seed is probably pretty, pretty similar to the team that's going to step in. But, you know, like you said, if, if a one seed is about to play some 16 and all at once they're playing Louisville or Memphis or something instead, that could really flip this thing upside down. Yeah, it definitely could. So, you know, we will talk about future stuff as this show goes along, taking a look at, you know, things like odds to make the Sweet 16, odds to make the Elite Eight, odds to make the Final Four, stuff like that. So, you know, again, like everything else here from a future standpoint for this year, things that you want to keep in mind, you you probably don't want to bet based on that because I do think at this point in time, the chances are relatively slim, uh, you know, of a team not being able to figure this out. But for example, you think about a team like Virginia here, who, you know, they already have the COVID concerns. They play Ohio coming up here on Saturday in the 4-13 game. They're not going to Indianapolis until Friday afternoon or evening, basically. So they're going to be cutting it very, very close. And they're a team trying to figure out if they have enough guys to play. I do think that the rules are relatively lax in terms of the number of COVID cases. I think all you have to do is really have five guys that are able to play for you. But you know, again, this is a situation that could possibly happen here. And one other wrinkle with, you know, everything being different here this year is that we're in this Indianapolis bubble. So all of the teams playing in the Indianapolis area, you do have Mackey Arena in West Lafayette and Assembly Hall in Bloomington as part of the venues here. But Kyle, you know, we always look at the neutral settings and the shooting backdrops for this tournament. And it's generally speaking at NBA arenas. But here you've got arenas of all sorts of shapes and sizes, two courts at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, The venues will be a big part of your handicapping from a total standpoint, to be sure. Absolutely. Uh, You know, these are very different venues. Uh, I think that Lucas Oil Stadium, while it's been a small sample size of how many games have been played there, and actually, uh, according to the Bet Labs database, it's 13 and 9 to the over. But if you go back and look and see, there have been some really low-scoring games. There's also been some overtime games that have skewed the the stats there. So uh, Lucas Oil Stadium, I think, should be considered an under venue, you know, especially for smaller teams. You know, if you get somebody that's used to playing in a really small venue and then they have to all at once play in Lucas Oil Stadium, that's a big jump. Um, You know, the other ones, Banker's Life. Uh, 43 and 35 to the over. And as I was looking through that, it didn't really look like that was a fluke to me. It looked like it was just, uh, you know, it's not an under arena, at least, you know, I don't, I don't know if we can say that any specific place is amazing for overs, unless maybe they're just the rims are, are uh, more kind or something like that. But it's not um, really great for the under farmers Coliseum 13 and 11 to the over. And then I've got assembly hall and Mackey arena, almost exactly 50, 50, um, assembly hall 135 and 128 to the over Mackey arena 121 and 117 to the under but as I said to you before um, when we were uh, talking before the show here you know I I don't want to take too much out of places like Mackey assembly hall Hinkle because it depends on who's playing those games those were not neutral site games and you know the home team there is going to influence whether that's an over or under so I think we have uh, in banker's life and farmer's coliseum two that are probably not under venues. And then in Lucas oil, one that is clearly an under venue. Well, and the thing that will be interesting here is teams kind of bouncing around these different arenas and here in the first and second rounds, I believe I saw, and I I'll have to maybe look this up on the fly, but I believe I saw that where you play on Friday or Saturday will not be where you play on Sunday or Monday. So 
know, you're going to have some teams that go from, you know, Farmers Coliseum, for example, 6,500 seat arena. All of a sudden you go play at Lucas Oil. I mean, that's dramatically different. I mean, that's so, so much different from one game to the next. So, you know, I don't know, maybe a first half under, maybe a first half of a team that played in a bigger arena, something like that. Uh, Again, just, you know, pay attention to the details here. You know, everybody wants to get excited about bracketology and picking all these upsets and this and that. Pay close attention to the details because I think that's where your betting value ultimately comes into play. And I talked about this last week. I love conference tournament weeks because I've got data points of these teams playing each other. You know, you've got mostly similar talent across the board. Here, it's dramatically different where you've got, you know, a Texas versus an Abilene Christian of a Big 12 versus a Southland, you know, stuff like that. So pay attention to the details, see what might be a great equalizer and all of that. I think you got to have a really detail-oriented handicap here in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I think some people just kind of get caught up in the excitement, caught up in the recency bias, whatever else. Just a lot of layers to these handicaps, to be sure, including some things that you put together here, some notes you sent over to me regarding how things go, favorites and dogs, stuff like that here in the first round, the round of 64. Yeah, I wanted to uh, talk about that briefly because I feel like, you know, for for betters who are listening to this, that's pretty important information. And since it's the round of 64, we do have a pretty large sample size uh, to go off of. Obviously, there's more games uh, when the tournament's just starting out than, you know, we, we can't talk about very much of a sample size once we get to, say, the final four. But in the rounds of 64, the under is 242 and 230 dating back to 2006, but the over is 72 and 54 since 2016. There was one year there, um, either 2016, 17, or 17, 18, where the over did really well. Um, it looks like the the last tournament, obviously two years ago, uh, things were pretty flat, but the best unders have been in games with a, a large spread, um, high seeds versus really low seeds. And we know that why that is, there's less fouling at the end of the game. You know, if it's a blowout, you have a better chance of it being an under. If it's a close game, the ones with the tight spread, you have two things that could help you. You have overtime and you have the foul fest at the end of the game. So um, keep in mind when you're looking at these that uh, the one versus 16, two versus 15 games have done very well to the under. And the you know, 7, 10, 8, 9 games have been good overs. I think that will continue to be the case. I don't see any reason why that would uh, change over the years. And obviously, and in one specific year, maybe it'll go differently. But in general, I think it makes sense that the uh, the games with the larger spread are going to be unders more often, and the games with the tighter spread are going to be overs more often. So uh, that's that's what I have for as far as over-unders. And as far as dogs and favorites, um, the dogs um, were 235 and 233 ATS since 2006. So uh, almost exactly down the middle here. Uh, it, it makes sense that you're not going to get any great value just taking underdog or favorite. You know, these lines are pretty sharp. I, I do think that it's important to point out that, you know, the trendy underdog is something to be scared about. Uh, fading an underdog, getting 51% or more of the spread bets is 124 and 90 um, last 214, that's 57.9%. So that team that everybody's talking about, they should win that first game. That's a, you know, 12 or 13 seed or something like that. And then the spread gets smaller and smaller. You know, it goes from a eight down to five or something like that. Uh, those are ones to be careful of because the, the public hasn't been right too often on games like that. 
Yeah, the, the trendy underdog is a really great thing to take a look at. And, and I agree with the premise of fading it, you know, because a lot of times, too, you know, you get this trendy underdog that wins its conference, wins a bad conference, but has a really impressive record, something like that. And they're playing a team that had, you know, generally a pretty pedestrian record in a much stronger conference. And, you know, people will want to fade those teams that are maybe, you know, in a regular year, 18 and 12 or, you know, 20 and 13, something like that. Going up against a team that's maybe won 26, 27 games. Everybody wants to pick the Cinderella. Everybody wants to be right with picking the Cinderella. Everybody wants to be able to hang that over somebody else's head of, yeah, I picked Florida Gulf Coast. And yeah, I picked Norfolk State and some of those underdogs that we've had throughout. Those ones actually did well. Most of them don't. So that's a really excellent point to make there to be sure. And just in general about the influence of the public in the betting market when it comes to March Madness, in a lot of cases and throughout every day of the college basketball regular season, the public doesn't have a whole lot of say in where games go, how they move, stuff like that, unless there isn't a whole lot of sharp money on them. In March Madness, though, simply because of the volume of the bets that are out there, with the way that the games are staggered, all the tip times kind of staggered and all of that, the public does have a much greater influence on the line movement that's out there. So that's always an interesting dynamic here in the NCAA tournament as well. Absolutely. A fantastic point because the public doesn't matter too much in college basketball throughout the regular season, but they matter a lot right now. And there are going to be some of these lines that are shifted around because of the public, solely because of the public, where usually it's just the sharps moving the line in college hoops. This time of the year, there are going to be some lines that, that are shaped by the public. Sometimes they mess up. Sometimes they're, they're betting the wrong side, and that gives you two, two and a half points of value. And we all know how those couple points of value, they're, they're very important. There's going to be a lot of games that finish close to the, the number as far as the total and a spread here in March Madness. So if you get a couple points of value, it's very important. So I, I think, you know, as we go through these regions, we'll maybe try to talk about games where the public is probably going to like one side. Uh, but I, I think I could see quite a few examples even in this year's uh, bracket. Now, one of the things that you look at a lot, because you you are primarily a totals guy, you look at pace a lot. And pace is such an interesting thing here in the NCAA tournament because we get some major pace wars. I mean, we have some teams that just play very, very contrasting styles of basketball. And you've got a couple notes here about pace and how it has impact, impacted games, excuse me, uh, in the first two rounds and also throughout the tournament. Yeah, this is a first two rounds. Uh, Slow-paced underdogs have done really well. Fast-paced underdogs have have been good fades. Uh, This makes sense to me. It's hard to change your style of play, but you don't want to run and gun uh, very often as a big underdog. You know, there's more talent on the other team. You know, and this is something where this isn't just the case in, in college basketball. You know, you can look at high school teams and things like that. You know, my wife and I have some coaching background, and I, I, rem- I can remember scouting some games and, and even coaching some games where, uh, you know, the other team was clearly better. Uh, and so we tried to slow the pace down or we played a little bit differently. But it is hard to change in one game. And at the same time, you see these teams that say, you know, I want to play really fast no matter what. And they just have a lot less talent across the board, whether it be high school, college, even pro, you know, pro things are more even obviously on talent, but across the board, if you have a big talent disadvantage, it's not a very good idea to play as fast as you can against a team that's really talented. 
they're probably better than you are. And there's a good chance you're going to lose by a lot instead of a little. You know, you want fewer possessions if you're the worst team. So this makes a lot of sense to me that this is going to continue to be the case here, that you don't want to run and gun as a big underdog. But some of these teams that are the, the 13, 14, 15, 16 seeds, they don't know how to play any other way. You know, that's how they play. And if they're going to play that way, then there's a good chance they're going to lose by quite a bit. Uh, the slow-paced underdogs have done really well uh, because they can make it lower scoring. And, you know, a lot of times they're catching 10 points or something like that. And in a lower scoring environment, uh, if you're catching 10 points, it's going to make quite a bit of sense to bet on a team like that. So I think it's really important there for those first couple rounds. And then I wanted to say teams with a pace of 67 and a half possessions or slower are 57% as an underdog since 2005 in the NCAA tournament overall. So 67 and a half possessions uh, is something that it used to be not that fast because, you know, obviously with the rule changes and then the the shorter shot clock, things like that, um, the game has changed a bit. But 67 and a half possessions now is is a, uh, a fairly slow paced team. But, you know, now uh, 57% ATS as an underdog since 2005. And I realize that that could be a little bit of a tough one to measure because of the rule changes. But uh, it has still done well in recent seasons that if you are a slow-paced team, you're an underdog, you've done good ATS. So I think that that is likely to continue. Yeah, and of course, just as a general rule, you know, speaking to what you said about slow-paced underdogs doing well, the fewer possessions there are in a game, the harder it is to get margin. You know, and, and like you said, Usually teams that have a big talent disparity probably do want to go a little bit slower, give themselves more of a chance to hang around in that game. So I think that's a really good point to bring up there. And something that you certainly want to keep in mind here as we go throughout this NCAA tournament, if you're laying a big number, you probably want that to be a little bit faster paced of a game just so the better team has more advantages because the better team will have an advantage on each and every possession in that game. So if they play to 75 possessions instead of 65, something like that, that gives the better team a lot more opportunities to score points, create margin, all of that. So keep pace in mind because during the regular season, we don't see a lot of really massive spreads because the gap between the best team and the worst team in a conference isn't really all that large. In the NCAA tournament, even though all of these teams, you know, in theory are good, you know, you've got big strength, the schedule discrepancies and all of that. So keep that in mind here. You know, the more points you're laying, kind of the faster you want that game to be played. I think that's a really excellent point to make there. Lastly, here to finish up our overview, and then we'll get into some specific regions. You want to look conference by conference here at some teams that have done well in the round of 64 and those that have not. Yeah, let's let's take a look at some of the let's start with the uh, negative teams first, uh, the negative conferences. This is round of 64 only. So this is not the NCAA tournament overall. This is round of 64 only. The big sky is four, 10 and one ATS. This doesn't surprise me. The big sky is a conference I love to bet, but they're not good. They don't play defense. Uh, they get in the, the big dance and it's tough for them to cover the spread. We've seen Montana and Weber teams like that, that looked pretty good get in the NCAA tournament and get absolutely blown out in the first game. So uh, it's pretty consistently happened from the big sky. The, the MAAC is another one, 4, 10, and 1 ATS. Uh, the WCC is 9 and 16 ATS. So the West Coast hasn't done very well. And then as far as a big conference, the ACC, 36, 52, and 1 ATS. 
Um, you know, I don't know how predictive that is because the ACC is going to be a lot different from one year to the next. But I do think the smaller ones, even though it's a small sample size, it tells you a lot about the the weakness of that conference or the strength of that conference. So now I'll say on the flip side, the positive ones, the OVC, 12 and 5 ATS. I think the OVC is probably a bit underrated as a conference, and that's that's kind of shown itself in the NCAA tournament. The MVC, the Missouri Valley Conference, 15 and 9 ATS. They've obviously been consistently good, and they've done well here in this first round. The MAC, ten and five ATS. Now the MAC is a is probably an underrated conference as well because there's so many teams that are at least pretty good. You know, you've got Toledo and Akron and Buffalo and Bowling Green and a lot of teams like that. Uh, so they're they're not playing really bad teams at any point there in the MAC. They're ten and five ATS in the first round. The CAA, twelve five and two ATS. I do think that this should come with a bit of a caveat that the CAA is clearly not as good as it used to be. So some of these covers were from several years ago, and I don't know that the CAA now is what it was, you know, five, six, seven years ago. So uh, we'll see what happens in the future. The Big Ten has been the best as far as uh, big conferences, 48 and 35 ATS there in the round of 64. Well, it'll definitely be nice to keep an eye on those here as we go throughout this first round. And we'll go clockwise, starting in the top left with the West region. Then we'll go to the South, the Midwest, and the East. Even though the West region starts play on Saturday, then the two conferences on the right side of the bracket start on Friday. We'll just go that way in clockwise fashion just to make things easy here. Number one seed in the West region is Gonzaga. And I'm going to go ahead and throw this out at the top as we break this thing down. They play the winner of the play-in game between Norfolk State and Appalachian State. When you look at this part of the bracket, Virginia's got COVID issues. Creighton's had all sorts of problems uh, here at the end of the year with Greg McDermott, you know, him volunteering to resign. They said no. They gave him a one-game suspension. All these different types of things, a lot going on here. When I look at Gonzaga, I see no way in hell they don't make the Elite Eight, and they'll be a pretty clear favorite in the Elite Eight game as well. I saw minus 230 for Gonzaga to make the final four. And I think that price is cheap, to be honest with you. They've got a great draw, easily the best draw of the number one seeds. Easily, not even close uh, as far as the best draw of the number one seeds. I I don't know who's going to beat Gonzaga in this. And I I will say Gonzaga is a team that they don't play good enough competition in the West Coast Conference to where I do worry about them getting upset. And they have been upset sometimes in the past because – They haven't played really good teams, but like you said, you look at the four or five there, uh, Virginia Creighton. I I don't think either of those teams would have a very good shot against uh, Gonzaga. And you look at the bottom of the bracket, Kansas to me is not a very good three seed. I mean, Kansas, Bill Self's a good coach. He's done a good job with this team. They're not that good compared to what they are a lot of years. Iowa still a team that I don't trust their defense that well. You know, I don't think in a neutral uh, site game where, Uh, You know, they're going to be playing with different backdrops where they rely on shooting quite a bit. You know, Garza is obviously great down low, but they do take a lot of threes. I don't think I was a great matchup for Gonzaga either. So it's hard to find somebody that's going to beat Gonzaga out of this. Like like you said, I I don't mind uh, uh, them at minus 230 there. You might be able to find a better price than that. We'll see how many uh, prices come out on things like that. But I do think Gonzaga has a great chance to be in in the final four. Yeah, just looking here, the minus 230s at DraftKings, it's minus 210 at FanDuel. So it's already better at FanDuel at minus 210. Either way, I think a lot of numbers are cheap here just because I don't see them getting beaten 
in this region. I don't see a team whose top end game, maybe Kansas is good enough to beat Gonzaga. I don't think Iowa's is. I certainly don't think Virginia's is. And Creighton, look, we talked about the shooting backdrops and some of the issues that some of these teams may have. Creighton in that 5-12 game against UC Santa Barbara, that's one of the games at Lucas Oil Stadium. So a jump shooting team in Creighton immediately has to play in this big cavernous venue. And I don't know if UCSB is that great of a team. Certainly their metrics and their record, very impressive here to this point. But we've already seen money come in on UCSB in this game with the line down from eight and the total down from 140 and a half to 138. I don't think either of those things bode well for Creighton here in that 5-12 game. No, and I don't think the the money is going to stop from coming into UCSB there. I think they they could be labeled one of those trendy underdogs, you know, so that would be the thing that would concern me a bit. Um, it's gone from seven down to six and a half, even six, uh, a couple places now. I, I don't think that that's going to get better if you like UCSB. So I think if you like UCSB, you want to go ahead and take it. I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't take the under there. Um, last night my number was a little bit lower than than the 140 and a half and I knew where this game was being played as far as venues um, you know obviously there's a lot of th- moving parts going on right at the beginning and these lines do move very quickly here on Sunday night and Monday but I think that Creighton is a team that you know they've had enough going on like you said and they take uh, so many outside shots I think they have a limited upside and I think that you know maybe this is a uh, discussion we don't want to go too deep into but I think the Big East was a little bit weaker than what we thought you know because a lot of teams in the Big East uh, really haven't looked very good and then Georgetown runs through it and just blows out everybody I think that was a great story but it also says quite a bit about some of the other teams there in that conference that maybe the Big East isn't quite as good as uh, past years yeah and I think one of the things that's a little bit challenging about this game and, and challenging just about unders in general is now that this one's been bet down from eight to six and a half, and I don't mean to belabor this game. It's not like it's the best game of the region or anything like that, but it does kind of underscore some of the points we're talking about here. This game is right in foul fest range at that six and a half number coming down a little bit, you know, games getting extended because there is no tomorrow. You know, this isn't a regular season game. As we all know, you lose in your season, your college career, potentially if you're a senior is over. So These teams do extend these games quite a bit. That's obviously a very concerning thing when you talk about playing full game totals. Maybe a first half under is a really good look here with that shooting backdrop. And a UCSB team that is good defensively, does not take a lot of threes, plays at a fairly slow tempo. Uh, Maybe the under, with some nerves as well, kind of coming into play here. Uh, Maybe the under in that game, a pretty decent look. It's hard to talk about the 4-13 game with Virginia and Ohio simply because we don't know where Virginia stands from a COVID standpoint, but it has had an impact on the line here where Ohio has been bet down from a 10 and a half point favorite to as low as set or 10 and a half point dog, excuse me, to as low as a seven and a half point dog here against the Cavaliers. And, and that's a pretty interesting development early in the process as well. Yeah, this is one of my bets. Um, I bet uh, Ohio plus 10 last night. I uh, like that a good amount if this game gets played. Uh, you know, the way my season has gone, probably they'll lose by 11 somehow, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I'm only half kidding with that, but, but um, Ohio is, is uh, a, a team that I like quite a bit, even at the, the eight or seven and a half. I, I think Ohio has a chance of winning this game. If, uh, you know, I, I would take money line as part of the bet here because Virginia doesn't get to practice. And then they try to make the trip out at the last minute. I am concerned that this game will get canceled. 
you know, that that's clearly the thing. So maybe we shouldn't talk about it too much, but I, I think Ohio is the good look here. The other thing about Virginia is they play such low scoring games and they did all throughout the season. Some of the weaker teams they played against, they didn't beat by very much this year. I mean, they're not getting margin against very many teams. I think Ohio is a, a pretty good underdog team. Actually, you know, like I said, I think the max probably a little bit undervalued and they've shown that in the past. I think Ohio has a shot in a game like this if it happens. What do you think about Ohio? Maybe it's stupid to speculate on this and, and play the hypothetical game when we're trying to get to a lot of stuff, but what about Ohio playing Louisville? Oh, yeah. Um, Ohio and Louisville, you know, I would think Ohio would have a shot there as well. I mean, Louisville's going to be a favorite of, uh, you know, five and a half, something like that. And, uh, you know, Louisville's not in a great situation either. They've had some key injuries. They've had a bunch of pauses. So I think I, Ohio would have a shot in a game like that. And I would lean towards taking them in that game as well. So uh, let's can we say one more speculation here? Uh, Ohio versus UCSB or Creighton in the second game. I think Ohio has a shot to get to the sweet 16 here. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I've seen far stranger things happen than Ohio getting to the sweet 16. So uh, I think Ohio on a money line rollover makes some sense. Uh, if you get a Ohio to reach the sweet 16, that would be one of the dogs that I'd want to look at. And unfortunately, and I, I wish they had them because I love talking about these things. I don't see any to make the sweet 16 lines for, you know, any teams that aren't outside of the top, you know, four seeds basically. Uh, but, you know, those are always interesting to look at, too, and the money line rollover especially. Something we've talked about a lot with regards to conference tournaments, something that you can factor in to the making the Sweet 16 odds as well, where in a lot of cases, betting a money line rollover is better than taking that futures price. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. One other thing to ask you about this little pod here with Creighton, UCSB, Virginia, and Ohio. Uh, you, know, you mentioned, like, you know, Ohio is a dog, and it, it seems like we've kind of made something of a minor case for UCSB here as well. Are, are you sprinkling more I mean, are you sprinkling every money line dog or you know is that something that you just do as a standard practice anyway well how are you kind of handling that here in the ncaa tournament yeah in march i like to do that even more than i do in the regular season so yeah as long as i um as long as it's not you know a 16 versus a one or something and obviously somebody's going to say well you know it's happened before but um you know i, I don't take right once. right once. it's happened once and what 15 over two is eight times i think Right, right. So, I mean, if if we're talking about a plus 20 on a 15 or 16 seed or something like that, I'm not taking the money line. But in, in all these games, other than that, you know, the plus 11, plus 10, plus 9, I am sprinkling on the money line. Strange things do happen in March. And I do think that it is wise to put something on the money line. In general, if you really like an underdog, you probably want to take something on the money line because, uh, you know, if you like them that much, plus nine and a half or plus nine, you have to think there's a chance that they're going to win outright. I mean, because you can't like them that much uh, to, to cover the spread and not think they have a chance to win outright. So, yeah, I do want to put something on the money line in games like this. So if you do like UCSB plus the points, I think you do want to put something on them um, also on the money line. So, you know, as we look down through here, I do think that there are some money line underdog candidates. I think we've talked about a couple of them right there. Yeah, and that's usually an 80-20 split, 85-15, yeah. something like that. You know, you'd rather have the cushion of the points for sure, and if you happen to get the upset, that's kind of the cherry on top. The bottom half of this bracket, I had a real hard time writing about the bottom half of this bracket in my West Region preview over at ATS.io because USC has a ceiling, but they're also very inconsistent. Kansas has a ceiling, inconsistent. 
Oregon, a team I really like when they're healthy, that's, you know, not the greatest of matchups, I don't think, for them in that 7-10 game against VCU. Iowa, we know what they're capable of, but at the same time, if their defense falters and they get into a spot where they shoot poorly, you know, there is no tomorrow for a team like that. Teams that are predicated on offense scare the hell out of me in the NCAA tournament because one bad shooting day and they are done. They're not going to win the game with defense, win a low-scoring game. They can be done. So I'll tell you what, man, in some respects, I like the high-variance pods of a region just because I think it creates some betting value. But at the same time, there's so much variance potential in the bottom of this region that I don't really know who I like to come out of it. Yeah, I agree with you. And and Adam, I have a quick trivia question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Right. So so um, there's two coaches in this West region overall that are the two best as far as money makers in March Madness. I think you know who one of them is. Uh, the but I wonder if you know who the second one is, who has done extremely well ATS uh, coaching wise in the, in the NCAA tournament. We're not talking just round of 64 overall in the NCAA tournament. Well, Dana Altman's got to be one, right? Yeah. He's number one. All right. Number two, Andy Enfield. You got it, man. I'm impressed. Florida, nice. Florida Gulf coast, right? Yeah. Nice work. And I, I think they had, has he had one or two games with the USC? I, I think he lost the game, but covered the spread. I'd have to look at that. I remember USC got in and, and lost a heartbreaker at one point, and they did cover the spread. But Andy Enfield, 7-0 and ATS. So um, Dana Altman, I'm looking here at the numbers. Dana Altman, 14-5-1 ATS. He's had some really uh, games that have covered the spread by a lot too. I think Dana Altman is is really really solid. I'm impressed you got the Andy Enfield one. I, I, you're you're always solid at trivia, so that, but that was a nice grab. I, I prefer name that tune or something like that. But I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> glad I was able to get that one. But the, you know that's the thing too is you've got this quick turnaround, and and obviously teams are used to that here this year. But now it's a quick turnaround against a different opponent. So coaching really matters when you go from playing Friday to Sunday, Thursday. Well. Yeah, Friday to Sunday, Saturday to Monday now with it being this year. Coaching really matters in that second game with that quick turnaround. You don't really have practice time and all of that. So it's a big deal, man. you got to handicap the coaches for sure at this time of the year. Yeah, it, it absolutely matters. And, and let's say real quick, since they are in the same region, one of the ones who's been the worst has been Lon Kruger. He's 7-13 and 13 ATS. So um, just, just something to point out. Actually, one of the others that's been the worst is Greg McDermott two, seven, and one ATS. So, um, and you wouldn't think that um, now's a great time to be betting on Greg McDermott. So it it seems like, you know, uh, a lot of the coaches who I kind of jotted down here all in this West region, but I think Altman, I wish Oregon was in a better spot there. You know, to be honest, I was hoping to bet Oregon in the first game and then it was minus six. I see it's five and a half now. That's a big spread. You know, I don't know how you could have power rated, uh, bigger than something like that, uh, Oregon and VCU on a neutral. I want to bet Oregon, but that's a big number. Oregon to reach the Sweet 16, Adam, you know, these are things that we like to talk about. So I think maybe this is a good example. Oregon to reach the Sweet 16 on FanDuel at plus 240. I guess the question is, is Oregon to reach the Sweet 16 at plus 240 better than you would get on a money line rollover if they play VCU and Iowa? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And, and again, it's it's definitely one of those things that you want to take a look at. They would be a dog to Iowa. But that being said, you know, relative to all the metric sites that are out there, there seems to be this realization in the sports betting community of what Oregon's ceiling is. And it does feel like they are at the top of the market right now 
which is exactly what you said with regards to that VCU line, where, you know, when I look at Torvik's line for that game, it's VCU minus one. So, wow. you know, obviously the, the, the bookmakers and, and the people in the industry are understanding and cognizant of the fact that Oregon looks a lot different now than they did earlier on in the season. And we're seeing that in the betting market. So it is tough to find, you know, reasons to really like them. I will say before we move on to the South region here, am I nuts for kind of liking USC a little bit as a team to maybe make the elite eight here? I mean, I don't think Wichita state or Drake are are all that good, especially Drake with the injury issues that they have. I don't think Kansas has a ton of upside and whoever comes out of that bottom, they're familiar with Oregon. If it's Oregon and Iowa, I'm I'm not in love with, with Iowa's profile. I kind of think USC has got a shot to lose to Gonzaga in the elite eight. Yeah. You know, I think the thing with USC is um, they're a team that I'd want to take as a flyer to make a a big run like that. But I think that you have to know, and I'm sure you, you think the same way they could lose in the first game. You know, it it would not be surprising if they lost in the first game, but would it surprise me if they get to the lead eight, it really wouldn't, you know, and I see uh, their price to reach the sweet 16 here on FanDuel plus 134. So they are getting respect there. Um, you know, I think their matchup against Kansas is not really that unfavorable. You know, USC has some really good talent. Uh, they played in a weaker conference, certainly. But I, Wichita State and Drake, I mean, USC should beat teams like that with the talent that they have. Will they? We don't know for sure, but they should. And then Kansas is a week three seed this year. Uh, I think USC would have a real chance in a game like that. You know, if, if they play a team like Iowa in the next game, certainly USC has a chance against Iowa. And there's a chance that it's somebody like Oregon in that next game. So uh, and certainly that's a team that, that they already know from that conference. But I think USC uh, to reach the Sweet 16 or reach the Elite Eight is not a terrible uh, bet here. So I agree with you. I think obviously there is some risk with taking a team like that. But you know, it's probably worth it. I'm trying to look at the, do you know offhand what the, to reach the elite eight is? Uh, USC to reach the elite eight is plus 600. At okay, draft plus. So plus 600 to reach the elite eight and plus 134 to reach the sweet 16. I have to say that if you like USC as an underdog, you probably want to take the plus 600 to reach the elite eight, right? Because I mean, that's, that's a pretty big difference in price. You know, that you're not getting any great value from the sweet 16. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. And again, I mean, these are the things that you kind of look for. You sort of try to find the paths to where you can make some money in the futures market. You know, this may just end up being a chalky tournament, and that wouldn't surprise me in the least. But, you know, you look for creative ways to attack this bracket. And let's see if we've got some creative ways over in the south region here, where Baylor, the number one seed, these games on Friday here, March 19th. I guess we might as well go ahead and start with the game that seemingly everybody's talking about, which is the 5-12 game between Villanova and Winthrop. Winthrop loses once during the regular season. Look, they're a dangerous 12 seed, and I think it's kind of a perfect storm type of thing here where you've got Gillespie out for Villanova. Villanova with that first round egg or their first game exit in the Big East tournament. But let me throw this out there. Georgetown was 23 for 23 at the free throw line in that game where they beat Villanova by one. So it took something remarkably special for Georgetown to beat Villanova without Gillespie in that game. And we even talked about it last week on the show, Kyle, that, you know, to me, I look at Jay Wright and I don't think Jay Wright wanted his team to spend a lot of energy in that conference tournament. I think he was fine 
with leaving it early, reshuffling the cards, figuring out what he has to do. Look, I know that Winthrop is super trendy. Give me Villanova minus six in that game, man. Yeah, you know, the first thing you want to think is uh, you see a game like Villanova and Winthrop and you think Winthrop's got a shot in a game like this. And then everybody starts talking about how Winthrop is, oh, you know, Winthrop's going to win this game, Winthrop in the next round. And I think this is clearly the trendy underdog. I mean, definitely most of the bets so far have come in on a Winthrop uh, thus far. And you get Villanova, a team who is shorthanded. But let's let's just say this. okay? Gillespie's out. okay? Villanova still has more talent than Winthrop does. There's no doubt about that. And Jay Wright, uh, it's not going to be very often that I'm going to say Jay Wright is at a coaching disadvantage. I think he's a tremendous coach and he has to be using this as, you know, a bit of a chip on their shoulder because everybody's talking about them losing. So I I think it actually helps a team like Villanova that so many of the talking heads on TV are saying, well, Winthrop to the, you know, uh, second round or sweet 16, this is one of your upsets. Uh, Villanova still has plenty of talent and I don't think Winthrop has seen anybody. I mean, look, Winthrop hasn't played anybody in the top uh, 90 or something of Ken Palm's rankings. I believe Uh, Winthrop doesn't play anybody tough. I think Winthrop is a well-coached team and a team that is, you know, at least a dangerous team, but you could argue they're a bit overseeded at 12 based on who they've played. You know, they haven't played a a strong uh, schedule at all where Villanova has played a strong schedule. And I think it's gotten so, uh, so heavy on everybody liking Winthrop here that I think Villanova minus the points would be my lean as well. And I, I wonder where this line will go. I mean, I think this one was six last night and now it's back up to six and a half. So we do see a little bit of buyback. This Adam is, I believe, yeah, this is the most heavily bet game so far according to Sports Insights, of all the games here in the first round. So, like you said, everybody's talking about this game, and it's important that we talk about it. Um, I think Villanova minus the points and the over are my leans in that game. I'll throw out something that's a little bit of a gamble here. And I do like Villanova in that first game to advance over Winthrop. But for the purposes of this exercise, I wouldn't be too upset if Winthrop won that game. North Texas on the 13 line is hella dangerous to me. I think North Texas, and we talked about them winning the Conference USA Conference Tournament. They went out there and they did it. Just what we talked about in the top of the show here about slow-paced underdogs and how because they play that lower-variance style of basketball, they muck it up, they make it ugly. Those are the kinds of games I think that these long-shot double-digit seeds wind up winning. To me, North Texas gets exactly that against Purdue, a Purdue team that was much, much better at home than it was on the road. And then if Villanova advances, and they probably will, Villanova is another team that does not move at a fast pace, which should allow North Texas to hang around. I don't see a Sweet 16 price on North Texas. The money line rollover will probably be better than that, assuming it's Villanova that advances past Winthrop. But there's something about this North Texas team that I feel some gamble in my blood with them to the point where I think I may take a money line rollover or you know at least see what that futures price looks like on the mean green to make the sweet 16 and not just because it rhymes and sounds cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think now's a good, good shot for me to give a quick plug to our, our friend, Rich Lamons. Um, Rich wrote an article, uh, Adam, I don't know if you've seen this yet or not, but he did a money line versus future rollover for Betspurts, uh, a company who's doing some really good um, stuff right now as well. Uh, Rich has a page over there. He did money line rollover versus future. 
And remember last week when we were talking about North Texas and uh, whether their price would be better on a money line rollover than their future. Their future ended up being about plus 250, plus 265, depending on where you were. Uh, Rich went through and calculated exactly what this would have been on a money line rollover versus the future. The future was plus 250 on average. The money line rollover was plus 556. So I, I think that's really um, a great time to point that out. And I would be stunned if somebody puts a sweet 16 line out here on uh, North Texas that would be as good as just taking a money line rollover on them for the first two games. So uh, I, I thought that was a, a great time to give a quick plug. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it tells you that the money line rollover can be really powerful. I think probably, you know, 80% of the time it's going to be better than the futures price, um, you know, Chaos, as Rich says in his article, is not great for a, a money line rollover because maybe you end up uh, with a, a team that you thought was going to be an underdog that's a favorite. So, you know, it depends on if you think there's going to be a lot of upsets in that uh, region. But here, I think North Texas makes sense. Uh, you know, I, I certainly lean them plus the points against Purdue in the first game. You know, we got a total of 126, 126 and a half. Uh, and we're catching quite a few points here for a team like North Texas, who is very well coached. Um, I think Matt Painter is a good coach too. So, uh, you know, a good coaching matchup in the first game. And I guess my question to you, Adam, too, would be, what kind of price do you think we'd see if Villanova plays North Texas? I assume, you know, the, the, um, the fact that Villanova is favored by only what they are against Winthrop, uh, you know, while, the normal power rating for the season, Villanova would be a pretty large favorite against North Texas. Uh, what would they be? You know, six and a half again. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, because you've got a Villanova team that that is ranked higher than Purdue at a lot of the metric sites that are out there, but Villanova, of course, without Gillespie here, it would probably be in a similar spot. I mean, I guess you would have to give North Texas, and this is important to think about too, when you go from the first round to the second round, you would have to give North Texas a little bit of a bump yeah. for an upset win over Purdue, right? I mean, they win as more than a touchdown dog. You give them a little bit of a bump, so maybe five and a half, maybe five and a half, six, something like Agreed. that. So, you know, I don't know what a Sweet 16 price looks like, plus 700, plus 800, something like that for North Texas. So, I mean, the Moneyline rollover is going to be probably better for you any way you slice it. Yeah, I agree. And actually, I think if you put Winthrop in North Texas on a neutral, North Texas would probably be a slight favorite. So when you think about the fact that they're going to get a bump from winning that first game, if they do, I agree with you. I think five and a half or six makes sense. And, you know, based on that, a Moneyline rollover here is likely to be your best option. So I don't think either one of us are saying North Texas is some slam dunk to reach the Sweet 16, but you know, if you're if you're a gambler, and I assume if you're listening to the show right now, you are. Um, I think it, it makes sense to take something like that as a, a risk worth taking. So I think that pod is the most interesting here, probably of the entire tournament, at least as far as I'm concerned. But North Carolina and Wisconsin, the winner will play Baylor because Baylor's not losing to the Hartford Hawks. But credit to the Hawks, first NCAA tournament appearance in program history. Wisconsin is a team that is underseeded as a nine. Now they've also underachieved in losing 12 games, but the, the rankings and the metric sites that are out there have Wisconsin much, much higher than where they are as an overall seed here in this one. I do think North Carolina, a bit of a challenging matchup for them just because the Tar Heels are so athletic. But the thing of it is as intrigued as I am by the eight, nine game and by the rest of that bracket, nobody beats Baylor, right? I mean, Baylor is just going to the elite eight and then it's a matter of who they play uh, from the bottom half of the South. 
Yeah, I don't think anybody beats Baylor here. Um, it, as we look down through that region, other games that that kind of stand out to me. One game I want to talk about real quick, Adam, Texas Tech and Utah State. I think Great that's game. a I think that's a really good game. That's one of them that I want to watch first. I think both of these teams are so good defensively. Both of these teams are really well coached. I mean, Craig Smith has been an absolute moneymaker. I think he's about 60% ATS for his entire career. But we know Beard is a tremendous coach. Tremendous. Uh, Mac McClung's been a good player for them. He does turn it over a little bit too often. My lean in that game would be the under. I think the under's taking a little bit of money already. Um, You know, I think the second game could also be intriguing there also if it's Arkansas and Texas Tech or Arkansas and Utah State. I will say that, you know, both of us being Buckeyes fans, I don't think Ohio State can win this uh, this region. Ohio State tried to lose the game so many times against Minnesota, Purdue, Michigan. That's going to come back to bite you at some point. You can't keep winning right at the end while you're turning it over so often, missing free throws, things like that. I think Ohio State's a good team and a well-coached team, but not high enough upside to uh, get to the final four. And I do think that um, if Ohio state did play a team like Arkansas, I think Arkansas might be a good bet in a game like that. You know, I I think Ohio state may struggle a little bit with oral Roberts here coming up on Friday. It's, it's not that it's a quick turnaround, but I mean, they just played four games in four days. Most of them very close. Most of them down to the wire. Don't necessarily love that. Oral Roberts kind of a high variance team. They suck defensively, but they're pretty good on offense. I don't really worry about Ohio State against either Florida or Virginia Tech. I don't think either one of them are very good teams. I agree with you. If they run into Arkansas, that's a little bit of a concern. Maybe not so much Texas Tech, just because Texas Tech doesn't score at a super high level. I think Ohio State could outscore a team like that. But, yeah, I mean, if they ran into Baylor, I I certainly wouldn't like the the Buckeyes' chances in a game like that. I think they get fortunate that the bottom half of their bracket has some good teams but also some teams I think they match up pretty well against. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I guess the question is then if Baylor goes up against Arkansas, do you give Arkansas any chance? I mean, you know, obviously they have some kind of chance, but I assume the spread in a game like that would be Baylor by five and a half or six, maybe probably six. Uh, You know, I I don't know. I mean, Baylor hasn't played as well as they did before their COVID pause, but I, I still am worried about Baylor's upside versus anybody in this. Like you said, I mean, I hate to talk, chalk so often i think uh we've talked about too that it looks like the number one seed uh has a real good run but i think it's kind of hard to see arkansas beating baylor as well well we talked about it already here as we transition over to the midwest region where you've got a piece of little chicago and and they got the shaft i mean you know they could very well lose to georgia tech in the first round they run into illinois in the second round if they do win you also have a piece of illinois i think to make the final four at plus 20 what did you get them at? plus four, plus 400 plus 400 to four, yeah so you know for <laughs> i mean that's obviously not at all the the pairing that you wanted to see up there in the top of the midwest region but one thing i will say is that illinois got a tough draw i mean they're this is a pretty good region i would say top to bottom the strongest region here is the midwest I agree with you. And um, Adam, maybe this is a good time for me to just say, I mean, what am I supposed to do with this Loyola Chicago future at this point? I mean, because I have to try to hope that they win the first game, right? I mean, because uh, even though they could lose to Georgia Tech, 
I have a great price, but they have to win the first game because they're going to be such a big underdog against Illinois, and I don't give them a good chance at all against Illinois. I'm just going to let the plus 400 on Illinois ride probably. Um, You know, it wasn't a huge bet, and neither is the Loyola one. But, you know, I don't feel like I have much of a choice, right? I mean, Loyola against Georgia Tech is a tough matchup, but if you try to hedge out of it immediately, I mean, you just run out of money in no time. So uh, I feel like I'm I'm kind of just – at a at a loss of knowing what to do based on how bad of a spot they got put in. Well, and I apologize to one of our listeners, Clark, who actually sent me an email late Monday night. And of course, last week, you know, I was in Vegas. So there was just so much going on, but asked about hedging opportunities and asked about a Georgia tech 30 to one hedge for the ACC tournament. And uh, hopefully you didn't cut too much into that one there, Clark. <laughs> but you know, that's the thing is, you know, you play these futures. Yeah. Obviously you want your team to win it all. You want to hit that jackpot. But you play these futures throughout the course of the season to you know, hope to guarantee some profit. Once the tournament rolls around, you hope for a better draw than what Loyola wound up getting here. And, and you've got a great price on them, as you said. I do think they can certainly beat Georgia Tech. I mean, they're just such a, I don't want to say regimented team. Maybe that's not the right way to put it. But they're very well structured. They're very well coached. I think the jury's still out about Josh Pastner, despite that run he had in the ACC tournament. So I do think Loyola moves on from that one. But like you said, I mean, what the hell are you supposed to do against Illinois? A team that has as much helium as anybody right now. They win the Big Ten tournament. They're a team that people absolutely loved throughout most of the season. A lot of people do have a futures piece on them, whether it's to win the whole thing, get to the Final Four, something like that. And the thing of it is, maybe Loyola gives them a game in the second round. Tennessee's got a very fortunate draw. I think Oregon State is a week 12. I think Tennessee wins that game. Oklahoma State, the 4-5 against Tennessee is pretty interesting with Cade Cunningham going up against the Volunteers. But I think Illinois is in good shape against either one of those two teams. But then they probably run into Houston, which, you know, some people have Houston. I know Torvik's got Houston as the number two team in the country. I think that's a little bit optimistic. But Illinois did, did not get a very fair shake here, I don't think. No, they got a really tough draw. And, um, you know, I think Illinois is very capable of getting through it because I think Illinois has about as much upside as anybody in the tournament. In fact, you know, I, I was telling you this earlier, I wanted to take Illinois to get to the national title and win it in my bracket. I haven't filled it out yet, but I don't think I can take Illinois to win the national title based on their, their draw. I mean, it's a really tough one. And, and even, you know, you get farther out, they'd probably be playing Baylor in the final four. That's a tough one. You know, I mean, uh, you didn't want to have to play Baylor. They would have rather played a team like Michigan there, I think. So, uh, you know, Illinois gets a really tough draw. Uh, I think, you know, <laughs> the two futures bets I made, Adam, you know, I mean, uh, I, I only put in two futures. And I don't know if Loyola or Illinois could have got a tougher draw. So I feel like that was a bit of a bad beat there. But um, it is what it is. I think that this region in general is a fun one to talk about, though, right? I mean, you know, you've got a lot of good teams. Uh, West Virginia is a three seed. West Virginia kind of tailed off at the end of the season. Huggins has done well in the NCAA tournament against the spread. Um, and I think that that team is fairly dangerous. I think San Diego State's a good six seed. Um, I think you like San Diego State in that first game against Syracuse, right? Yeah, I mean, San Diego State, they, they shoot threes at a pretty high rate, which is what you have to do to beat Syracuse. And that'll be an interesting line to watch, too, because we talked about the public influence already in this market. And everybody, when the when the brackets are being announced on Selection Sunday, everybody rolled their eyes and went, of course Syracuse got in. You know, like, oh, of course they're in. And not only that, 
they're not even in one of the play-in games. So everybody already kind of has some anti-Syracuse sentiment here. And that you know usually shows itself in the betting markets, whether it's in the opening number or just in the action that comes in. But yeah, I, I do like Syracuse or uh, San Diego State in that one, excuse me. West Virginia, you know, Moorhead State, it, they don't take good enough care of the basketball to really scare West Virginia, I don't think. They are a good defensive team, though. I, and that's something I think is important to kind of look at, too. As this tournament goes along, what sort of adversity do you face? Do you have to play a really tough game? Do you have to spend a ton of energy in a game that you're not supposed to? Like, if you're a double-digit favorite and you're in a nail-biter, I don't think that's great for you. But I think for West Virginia here, as a double-digit favorite, I think it's, what, 11 and a half, 13, something like that here. I, I think playing a game against a tough, physical, defensive, hard-nosed opponent is a good thing for them going into probably playing a San Diego State team that you know, plays sort of similar in that regard. So that's something that's kind of interesting there. Where San Diego State plays this Syracuse zone, I don't think it helps them moving forward. But I think West Virginia gets helped by playing a team that's kind of a you know, poor man's lesser major San Diego State type team in Moorhead State that just doesn't take as good a care of the basketball. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think uh, in that first matchup, you, you said it right. Um, Moorhead State would have had a chance to give somebody trouble if they'd gotten the right matchup. I don't think they got the right matchup here because Moorhead State has one glaring weakness, and that's their turnovers. And this isn't press Virginia, but they still force a lot of turnovers. Huggins' team is going to uh, turn you over, and they're going to score off of those turnovers pretty quickly. Moorhead State, a team that I don't give a very good chance of, of uh, even really giving them a very good game there because Moorhead State doesn't shoot it well, and they they turn the ball over so consistently. You would think West Virginia wins that one fairly easily. I agree with you that, that it's good for them that they play a team that is uh, defensive, hard-nosed team, and then they go and play. Honestly, I mean, Syracuse is a, a defensive team. They're just different you know, with the zone. And we have to say, Bayheim's done well in this tournament. You know, I, I'm not a big Syracuse or Bayheim fan myself, but they're eight. He's 18 and 12 ATS in his last 30 in, in March Madness, and Syracuse. I mean, they've they've made runs when they had worse teams or and were in worse draws before. So it wouldn't shock me if they they win a game or two. But San Diego State is a good six seed. That, that's a well coached team as well. So I think that's a pretty interesting little pod down there. And then uh, Adam, are you, if we talk about Rutgers Clemson. Can we talk about that one for a minute? Um, Clemson the only one where the lower seed is a favorite in the right. first round. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that was the case. Usually we get a few of those, right? I mean, I think that's kind of strange that, that we don't have more of those, but Clemson is clearly overseeded at number seven. I mean, uh, I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but Brownells teams have faded at the end of the season nearly every year. Uh, and I think that uh, Rutgers is a well-coached team. They've lost 11 games, but they played in the big 10. The Big Ten's the best conference. I don't think it's very close. You know, as a Big Ten guy, I'm hoping the Big Ten can win one of these uh, big dances soon so that we don't have to hear about the fact that they haven't won one in a long time. But the Big Ten is tremendous, you know, depth-wise. I think Rutgers is probably a good bet here in this first game, minus one. Uh, I also think, and and this is going to be my uh, one that – Maybe everybody's going to listen to this and go, you know, what the hell is wrong with Kyle here on this one? But I think Rutgers has a chance against Houston in the second game. I think Houston is a team that hasn't played that many good teams this year. I mean, you look at their strength of schedule compared to Rutgers. Rutgers is a defensive-minded team. That would be a low-scoring game. That's a game where, you know, uh, if you score 62 points, you could win the game. 
You know, I, I think Rutgers would have a shot in a game like that. So Rutgers to reach the Sweet 16 or Rutgers money line rollover, I think is is worth a shot here. Ooh, I like it. That's a that's a thin limb you're going out on, but I appreciate <laughs> that. I, you know what, and that's what this tournament's kind of made for too. You know, you get some of these opportunities that are out there to, you know, take some of these money line rollovers, some of these Sweet 16 prices, all of that. I, I don't mind it. I don't hate it. I think Rutgers is in good shape in that game against Clemson. I, I knew you'd hate on Bra- on uh, Brownell because I know we've done that before here, uh, but I, I can't disagree with anything you said. You know, with Rutgers and some of their upside, and also the challenge it could present to Houston. There is one thing I'm curious if you can do for me before we transition over to the East region. Is it possible for you to talk me off of betting Houston minus 20 against Cleveland State? Because I I think this game is an absolute bloodbath. No, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. I, I think that game could get really ugly. I think no, Cleveland, nothing against Cleveland State. Right, I mean, you know, right. obviously, yeah, I mean I'm I'm downtown Cleveland all the time, hanging out, you know, I I go past campus and all that. Good for them, you know, having a good season, but number one in Ken Palm's luck factor, they're probably number one or top three in Ken Palm or in uh Torvix. I they can't defensive rebound and Houston's one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. Uh, it, that one's like hide the wife, hide the children kind of thing. I think. I I think that 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 is has blowout written all over it. You know, between that and maybe laying the points with Baylor against Hartford, those are a couple blowouts that I think are very likely. You know, I think we'll see some really ugly games there. And Cleveland State, I mean, how are they going to score against Houston? You know, Houston's a good defensive team. They got a lot of length. Um, I, I don't think Cleveland State's going to score very many points. So, yeah, I think that one will get ugly. I have to say one more thing, and I thought maybe this is where you were going to go, Adam, before we leave this one. I thought you were going to say something about Rick Barnes. I have to say really quick, Rick Barnes, the worst ATS in the NCAA tournament, 7-17 and 17 ATS. Now, does that surprise us? It certainly doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, Rick Barnes, his teams have been really bad. I agree with you that they're in a good spot there in that first game. I hope Tennessee plays Oklahoma state in the second game. So I can bet Oklahoma state. I, yeah, I think that's fair. I hope Tennessee wins and covers in that right. first game. And then you can come back on Oklahoma state. Cause yeah, I uh, definitely like to kick Rick Barnes here on this show. We do a very good job of it, by the way. One thing I, I do want to point out real quickly is, you know, the, the, the big favorite thing, I think it's such a fascinating discussion. And, and, you know, I like Houston. I agree with you on Baylor too. I mean, Hartford just, they don't see anything like that. They're, they're probably going to be overwhelmed in that game. It's always interesting because you can look at it from a, a lot of different perspectives, right? So, you know, you have to play two days later. So maybe you kind of limit the minutes for, for a lot of your star players in the second half. But at the same time, the guys coming in off the bench never really get to play. I mean, this is maybe the one game of the year. They actually get to go out there and do something. So they're amped up, they're excited, they're all jacked up, all that. You know, it's hard for a coach to tell these kids, hey, slow it down, use the whole shot clock, because those guys don't get out there on the floor. So a lot of people like to think of blowouts as unders, and it certainly is a possibility. But at the same time, you know, if I'm a coach, and maybe not all coaches think this way, I'm not a big believer in, you know, the the sportsmanship thing of, you know, uh, I'm going to take it easy on this team. No, if you don't want to get embarrassed, stop me. You know, it's on you. I'm not going to stop myself. I'm not going to stop these kids who go through practice seven days a week, play 18 minutes over the, you know, 27 games we played in the regular season. I'm going to let those guys go out there and play. So I think there's always this inclination to play the under in a projected blowout. 
But here in this environment with these guys coming off the bench, getting a chance to go out there and play and kind of chuck it from anywhere. I think it's kind of a dangerous strategy that some people may employ. Yeah, I think it depends on the team, too. I mean, we know some of these coaches are going to lay off a lot quicker than some of the other coaches. So, you know, we that's that's the benefit to knowing and seeing what uh, what you've been able to watch before. You know, some of these coaches are happy to run up the score. Other coaches are, are pretty quick to say, hold the ball. You know, they'll take the shot clock violation at the end of the game, you know, uh, when there's 40 seconds left and they have the ball and they just take a shot clock violation, things like that. So... I think that um, it's a case by case basis. You know, I think in general, the, the blowouts, the under, if it's a high number, I, I would certainly lean to the under, but I worry about the unders and a blowout that, you know, it's under 130 or under 131 or something, because like you said, there are some of these guys on the end of the bench that, man, when they get in the NCAA tournament, they've barely played in the regular season. You can hardly blame the guy for wanting to jack a three right away. Right. And, and sometimes those guys, you know, they turn the ball over. Then you've got a team that's trying to get back in the game. They're chucking threes five seconds into the shot clock, you know, all those kinds of things. So like you said, case by case basis, but it is something I wanted to throw out there. Uh, you know, since we were talking about a couple of very likely blowouts here in the first round, lastly, over in the East region here where Michigan is the number one seed, I'm going to throw this out there and I'm not doing this just because I'm an Ohio state fan, but you know, I'm not going to lie. It was nice to see the Buckeyes beat Michigan there in the semifinals I am looking at and I think you can find a better price on this and I don't know if it's out there right now but I think you can find a better price on this DraftKings has Michigan not to make the elite eight at minus 136 and I gotta tell you I think LSU is a tough game for them if LSU survives St. Bonaventure in the eight nine and I really think Florida State who's got a very fine draw here in that little pot of the region I think Florida State's a hell of a Sweet 16 matchup for Michigan. I think so, too. I think, you know, Michigan without Isaiah Livers now, you know, I I think that hurts them quite a bit, too. Um, Michigan is a team that you wonder if they peaked at the wrong time. It felt like they peaked, you know, about a month ago. And um, I think Michigan's a a very quality team. But if you're looking for a one seed that's going to get beat out, early I think Michigan is the one that would stand out to me and uh you agree certainly LSU a tricky matchup if they play them in the second game and I think Florida State would be a really really tough matchup Uh, I think Florida State is one of those teams that's a little bit inconsistent I don't love Leonard Hamilton but Florida State's the tallest team in the country and that length can really give a lot of people trouble you know, I think uh, Michigan could have a, lar- a hard time with that. You know, Hunter Dickinson has not seen uh, guys that can guard him very consistently. Florida State would have guys that could guard him. And I think Florida State, to make a run here, whether it be Florida State to reach the Elite Eight or Sweet 16, probably worth the price. And I agree with you on um, trying to fade Michigan there. Uh, I think Michigan's a good team, but they got a pretty tough draw as far as uh, teams who could pull an upset against them. Seeing Florida State to make the Elite Eight plus 350 over at DraftKings. And, you know, it's always interesting to kind of look at those, too, because I sit there and I think, okay, like Florida State's not losing to Greensboro. I'd be shocked if they did. I don't think they lose to the Colorado Georgetown winner. So I'm basically looking at that Michigan game. And is plus 350 to make the Elite Eight better than the money line I get when Florida State plays Michigan? I think the answer is pretty clearly yes there. So I think at plus 350, you know, that's one where you're not looking money line rollover. You're not even looking at that sweet 16 game. 
I think there's good value in that plus 350 because I do think Florida State has a hell of a chance against Michigan. I don't know what that line is. Maybe what, three and a half? Michigan minus three, three and a half, maybe something like that. But I don't know. I think plus 350 is good value on, on Florida State to make the Elite Eight. Yeah, I think that seems like a pretty good price, too. I'm, I'm kind of looking at my stuff here to see what I think uh, Florida State, Michigan would be. I, I think three and a half is a good number for that. So, I mean, if you take a, a plus 350 to reach the Elite Eight, and like you said, you start thinking Florida State, uh, Greensboro is a, a quality team, but you wouldn't think that Greensboro matches up very well against that kind of height. And then Colorado and Georgetown, I think, is a pretty favorable second game for Florida State. They're, so they're then, both. I think both Colorado and Georgetown are fade teams. Absolutely. I, I'm glad you said that. Um, last night when the bracket was coming out, I was sitting there waiting for Colorado and Georgetown thinking, I want to fade the, both of these teams. And then they're playing each other. And I, I literally was like, well, what am I going to do? You know, I mean, they just ruined my chance of fading those teams because right now Georgetown – Everybody's talking about what they just did in the Big East tournament. And look, the public is betting Georgetown in that first game against Colorado. They are going to. That's going to be the the 12-5 trendy upset pick. The thing is, I don't like Colorado. I mean, Colorado hasn't won away from home, and they play in the Pac-12. So I don't want to bet Georgetown, but I definitely don't want to lay points with Colorado. So I, I think I'm going to have to end up passing or looking at the total in that game. But you're going whoever to end up wins, having to play Florida State the second round. That's yeah, exactly. That's what that's the to, to make it quicker. That's exactly what I want is I want Florida State to win the first game so that I get a chance to play Florida State in the second round because otherwise, you know, it's it's hard to bet the Colorado Georgetown game. Yeah, I think so. I, I kind of like Colorado a little bit just to fade the Georgetown hype, but. Yeah, it's it's a tough bet to make. The one thing I will say, again, I mean, a game in falling range in Colorado, what, almost 83% from the free throw line? True, yeah. This year. So, you know, maybe that's something that helps. And, and, and that's an important thing, too. Maybe we should have talked about this at the top, but, you know, you got to think about this. Free throw percentage is enormous in the NCAA tournament because games are extended so much with all of the falling and all of that. Yeah. So to go along with, I know you look at rebounding a lot. You know, a lot of people bet based on turnover percentage discre- uh, discrepancy things of that sort. You know, if you're betting a favorite in this tournament, they better be able to shoot free throws if they're in that falling range. That is a very, very important statistic to take a look at. As far as the bottom of the bracket goes here, BYU gets the winner of Michigan State, UCLA. I don't think Michigan State deserves to be in, but, you know, Texas and Abilene Christian's a fascinating game. I'm sure we'll spend a little more time on that. UConn, Maryland, and then Alabama and Iona. And Rick Pitino was bitching before the Selection Sunday show about seeding back, you know, dating back to when he was at Louisville and, you know, he gets thrown with Alabama. So it doesn't really have much of a chance there against the best number two seed in the field. But what about the bottom of this bracket? Anything of intrigue to you? The UConn Maryland game, I think is an interesting uh, game in the first round. You know, I want to go against Maryland because I don't trust Mark Turgeon. I think he's a good fade this time of the year. Not quite Rick Barnes level, but it's it's hard to be on that level. So uh, UConn, though, the problem with them is UConn is such a trendy pick at this point. You know, I, I think UConn has become such a popular team, and I don't know that they've proven that much. I know Book Knight being back, he's a really good player. UConn has a good defense. I would lean to the under in the UConn Maryland game, but the the total is pretty low there. So uh, I don't give either of those teams a great chance against Alabama in the second game. So I think Alabama has a fairly favorable draw here. 
Um, you mentioned it uh, just a minute ago. I think Texas and Abilene Christian is a fascinating game. Abilene Christian is a team I would have liked to see them playing someone else, to be honest, because I wanted to bet Abilene Christian, but Texas, uh, they're playing good basketball right now. They're a big team. They have some really good players in the front court. I think Abilene Christian, while they do have one really good big player, uh, they don't have size across the board to to face off against Texas. You know, I'm worried about Abilene's chances against a team like Texas as compared to if they had played, you know, one of the other three seeds, whether it had been, you know, West Virginia or Arkansas or somebody like that. Uh, I think that Texas is a tough matchup for them. At the same time, I believe that game's being played at Lucas Oil Stadium. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one. So um, that game is one where I would lean to the under, thinking that's an under venue. And Abilene Christian is much better at defense than they are at offense. Uh, Texas has had some close games against lesser opponents. And Shaka Smart, while he's been great ATS in the tournament because of his run at VCU, hasn't really been that good at Texas. Um, so I think they still have something to prove, but you know, that line isn't good enough for me to want to take Abilene. I I think the under could be a good play in that game. Um, Texas in the second game, I guess, let's say, what do you think of a Texas and BYU matchup? You think BYU stands a a fair chance in a game like that? I think they do. You know, I think BYU is a pretty good team. I mean, it's tough because the West coast conference, and this is something that people hold against Gonzaga year in and year out. The West coast conference just isn't very good. So if you've got good stats, a lot of people sort of point to that. I think BYU is a pretty damn good team. I, I wouldn't be totally shocked if they beat Texas. I really wouldn't be. Right. Right. I don't think I would either. Uh, they see they're plus plus one ninety four to reach the sweet 16 at FanDuel. I don't think that price is good enough uh, compared to a money line rollover because they're not going to be a big favorite uh, even in the first game. And then they'd be a decent size underdog against Texas. So I think you want to take a money line rollover against the plus 194. But I think BYU is a well-coached team. I think Pope is a good coach for sure. Um, They have the height now with Harms. Uh, They have good shooters on the outside. To be honest, Michigan State, um, you said you didn't think they should probably be in it. I mean, they got some big wins at the end of the year, and they played in the Big Ten. So, you know, it, it probably, you know, based on how weak the bubble is, it probably makes sense that they got in. But uh, playing UCLA there in that first game, uh, does that mean that you like UCLA in the first game or no? Yeah, I, I like UCLA over Michigan State, I think. But I, I, I think I like BYU over either one of them. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think uh, BYU is a good bet there against either Michigan State or UCLA. I kind of hope they play UCLA in that game, even though I am a Big Ten guy. But I think UCLA might be an easier matchup for them in that game. BYU uh, against Texas, I think, could be a good underdog there. Um, I think the bottom of this bracket's pretty interesting. You know, Alabama is a good team. Alabama, I would think, might uh, score quite a few points against Iona. Actually, I, I think the over might be a good bet in a game like that because Iona hasn't played that fast this year. But once they get behind, what are they going to do? And Alabama has shown that they'll keep running the entire game. So that's one where I don't like the under with a with a big spread. Kind of like the what you were just talking about, some of these games that could be a blowout where the over might have some value. I think that might be one of them. I'll tell you one thing I'm kind of looking at here in the East region, and I'm looking at these futures from DraftKings, and you know the, the hold on DraftKings futures is really, really high. So I don't know if these are the best prices that you'll be able to find. Certainly the global markets will have something better than the U.S. markets, I would think. But Alabama plus 450 to make the Final Four and Florida State plus 900. 
I think that's the Elite Eight matchup there. I think Florida State beats Michigan if LSU doesn't do it. I think Florida State would beat LSU if that winds up you know, who they play in the Sweet 16. I think there are three teams that can make the Final Four out of this region. Michigan, Alabama, and Florida State. And if I want to fade Michigan, I can play the other two as kind of a two-pronged approach because I think Alabama would have a great shot in the Elite Eight against Michigan. So I'm kind of looking at that here a little bit of taking a piece of Alabama and a piece of Florida State to make the Final Four and be the winner of this East region. I think at worst, I've got one of those teams live in the Elite Eight, and at best, I've got both of them. I like it. I like it. As you were talking about that, I started, yeah, that's a good idea. I like that quite a bit. You said Alabama was plus 450? Plus 450, yeah. That's, I, that's I'm surprised. I'm surprised they're that big. I mean, that's, when, when you said that, I was thinking, is it just, Alabama's plus 450? I mean, it seems like that's not very much respect for a team like Alabama, who's supposed to be the second or the, the best two seed. And the draw is not bad down there for them. Not at all. I actually think plus 900 is a good price on Florida State, too. So I, I like that approach quite a bit because it's hard to find too many other teams. I mean, we'll just say, you know, Colorado being the five seed here, I can't imagine Colorado making that big of a run. You know, I, and the three seed, Texas. I mean, maybe Texas could win this bracket, but Chaka Smart at Texas has not been very good. And Texas was a bit inconsistent this season. It would, it would surprise me if Texas did it. What is the price on Texas? Ooh, Texas is plus 700. Yeah, I think so. If Texas is plus 700, I think that that's good value for the other two because Florida State being plus 900, Florida State would, would stand a real chance in a game like, against Michigan, like we said, and plus 450 against uh, for Alabama, and Alabama has a pretty good uh, route here. So I like the way you're looking at that. I think I might do something like that myself. No, I like it. There we go. All right, so to finish up the show here, we covered all four regions. I, I think we did it in a fairly efficient amount of time. I don't know. Time time flies by when you talk about yeah. the NCAA tournament here. Call your shot, man. Who Who's playing who for the national title and who wins it? Shoot, um, this you're putting me on the spot, Adam. Uh, I haven't filled out the bracket yet, but I'm just going to go with this. My initial inclination here is um, Gonzaga and Illinois were the two teams that I that I wanted. I said Illinois had a really tough route. Um, I think Florida State has a good chance to make a good run here, so uh, I like that we we kind of agree on that one. I'm going to say here that Gonzaga will win the national championship. Usually I don't like to say that because they've played a weaker schedule, Um, but Gonzaga has a very good team this year and Gonzaga's path is pretty easy. I mean, like we said to the final four and even in the final four game, you know, if they play a team like Florida state or Alabama, I think Gonzaga has a great chance in a game like that. So as the bracket is set up, I'll say Gonzaga wins this and um, I'll take Illinois to be against them, even though I think they have a really tough route. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, I was going to save mine for later in the week, kind of keep everybody sort of in limbo with it. But the problem is I totally got bored with you. I think it's Gonzaga <laughs> and Illinois. I just, you know, I, I thought it was Illinois for a while. You know, I figured Illinois would be the team that comes out of the Big Ten, and, and, you know, they do win the conference tournament there. And Gonzaga, I mean, like you said, it, it would be stunning if they're not in the Final Four. Absolutely stunning. Whereas I think you could make a case where Baylor possibly gets beat by somebody where Michigan potentially gets beat, something like that. Gonzaga will make the final four. And if they don't, it's a massive disappointment for them. I even mentioned, I'll bet them minus 210, minus 230, you know, whatever number is available out there to make it to the final four. And I think Illinois, I mean, we, we saw their upside. We know what they're like when they're healthy. Uh, I think that's a really, really strong team. So 
yeah, Gonzaga over Illinois is, is it for me too. So, you know, not sexy, probably not super surprising, but I think we gave out a lot of good betting advice across other parts of the bracket here and good chances for people to make money. Yeah, Adam, this is fun. You know, I, I just looked at the time. I guess it's been a little longer than I thought. I was actually surprised we were done now. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking <laughs> we're just getting started. I mean, this is always a blast with you. Uh, you know, I, I always enjoy doing these shows. And and we get to March Madness and we start breaking down money line rollovers versus futures. I, I think you and I could talk for hours, you know. But um, I think we did a good job here. Hopefully people can find uh, some, some good information from this. I think there are some good betting spots here. You know, even though March March Madness is a heavily bet uh, time of the year. I don't think this is one like the Super Bowl where we say a lot of times in the Super Bowl, we say it's hard to find a good number on anything. I do think in the NCAA tournament, there is money to be made. I mean, if you want, we can extend the show 10 to 15 <laughs> minutes. We can talk about Mount St. Mary's and Texas Southern for a while. Oh man, That's just the one I wanted to talk about. It no. should be. It's a huge pace war. That's right up your alley. You're right. You're right. That is a huge pace war, but um, <laughs> under, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, but no, I think we, I think, I think we had a, a good show here. We, we broke down a lot of stuff. I, I think, um, you know, Gonzaga has an easy path, like we said, and I think, you know, keep, keep in mind those coaches' stats that we brought up too, because um, Adam said this earlier. Uh, coaching is really important this time of the year. You know, you've you've had a whole season to coach up this team. Have you been getting better the whole way? And it's going to be quick turnarounds and in a different venue, as Adam said. You know, you play the first game in one spot, and I believe they said you have to play in a different spot in the second game. So they're not going to play in the same spot ever. I think that's uh, coaching matters even more on those quick turnarounds in a different spot. So keep that in mind. No, absolutely. I think we covered a lot of ground here with a lot of important stuff about the NCAA tournament. And, you know, we talked about blowouts. We talked about the quick turnarounds. We talked about, you know, futures and trying to attack weaker pods of the region. A lot of good stuff here on today's show. One of my favorite shows I think we've done uh, all year. And, and, you know, you and I have been doing this for a long time together. I think it's one of the better shows you and I have ever had. So definitely enjoyed it a lot here today with Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com. And what's going on over at the website right now, man? So I've still got the March Madness Pass. Obviously, it's not early access anymore because conference tournament time is over. And here we are at March Madness. But I lowered the price to 249 once again i'm going to do a special if anybody's listening to ats radio radio they can send me a message i'll make it 225 for you so uh you can send me a message at kyle hunter picks on twitter or kyle at huntersportspicks.com if you want free plays i'm going to be giving some of those on twitter also my free picks newsletter over at huntersportspicks.com so i just thought about this and maybe i shouldn't open up this box but i do want to talk about it really quickly is that the nit is happening yeah and and there were some teams that you know opted out of it said you know what we don't want to go it's fine whatever we're, we're not necessarily worried about it they kept louisville out of it in case they need them to slot in for somebody for the ncaa tournament the most egregious thing about this is that belmont is not in it which for the life of me i cannot figure out but nit betting which this starts what i think wednesday night uh, I mean, this is a, a completely different animal. You would think all these teams actually want to be there. I don't know if the coaches pulled their teams or whatever else, but you know, th- this is a, usually a pretty good way to make money. I, I just don't know if it is the same thing here this year. 
Yeah, you know, the NIT is different than what it usually is because usually they play the first couple games at home, right? And now they play all in neutral sites. I believe a lot of them were going to be in Texas. Texas, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know what to do with the NIT this year as much as normal, especially from a total standpoint, because you're not at your home court. You're playing on a neutral venue, which is usually good for an under, but the NIT has always been a good over in the early rounds. I think I'll probably have less bets in the NIT than I've usually had in the past and and actually might have more uh, in the NCAA tournaments than I have sometimes in the past. So um, I actually thought of that a little bit ago too, Adam, that we hadn't talked about the NIT or I believe the CBI is happening too, but not the CIT. Um, And you know, I think sides might be a better way to bet that than than totals because if you think you can find an edge on who wants to be there more than the other team, like you said, you would think most of these teams would want to be there. Um, I think the the one that kind of stands out to me, I think Colorado State's a really well coached team. Um, I think they could do pretty well in this postseason tournament. Uh, Medved's a tremendous coach. Um, I haven't looked at the NIT very much. I actually got a, a question from one of our one of the listeners um, asking if I'd looked at NIT futures value, which I think is pretty cool because you know if you're listening to this show, you're probably looking at at things like that, you know, early on. But to be honest, I haven't looked the, at the NIT very much because I've done so much on uh, the big dance. But I think it's so much different this year. I'd be a bit worried to play as much in the NIT as I have in the past. Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, there aren't really a whole lot of teams in this one where everyone's like oh my god that's a huge snub for the ncaa tournament because usually you think you think you could fade that team who's upset that they're not in the big dance but uh, maybe memphis is kind of pissed off i i don't know i don't know if they really ever felt like they had the resume for it but uh the cbi really quickly army bellarmine bryant coastal carolina longwood pepperdine and stetson the teams that have been announced as participating so far down in Daytona beach. So uh, there's, there's your CBI feel, by the way, Longwood awful away from home. So maybe that's a, a good betting angle there for the CBI, but yeah, sorry to, to extend the show a little bit longer, but I just, I didn't realize the CBI was being played for one thing. I knew they talked about the NIT and yeah, maybe there's some value to be had there, but you know, I, I think with all the moving parts for the NCAA tournament, I'm glad we spent the, the vast majority of the time on that. Yeah, and and as far as the CBI, there's so many teams under the radar there that I kind of like that one. You know, those are kind of in my wheelhouse, those teams that uh, usually nobody's talking about the games that we're talking about, Adam. So I want to look at the CBI a little bit more and see who may be motivated uh, for that one. But yeah, always always nice to talk about these under the radar games, too. You want to look at the CBI. Don't you dare bitch at me about how much sleep you get this week. If you're you're spending (laughs) spending your sleeping hours looking at the CBI, my friend. Yeah, yeah, I can. Uh, maybe I can sleep next week, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com. Love the show, man. Had a great time with it today. Thank you so much for joining me and uh, good luck with everything. We'll talk to you again next week. Always fun, my friend. Thank you. There you go. There's Kyle Hunter. Once again, huntersportspicks.com is the website at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. By the way, as we were doing the show, I quote tweeted our buddy Rich Lamons' article about the money line rollover versus the futures price. So I encourage you to check that out on my Twitter page at Skating Tripods. Tomorrow on Tuesday, I'll chat with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Probably talk a little bit of college basketball with him just because it is the NCAA tournament. Maybe some NHL. We'll talk Honda Classic Golf. Uh, and then wherever the hell they are this week for NASCAR. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.